The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us here on Thursday, where some people think... <laughs> Why so angry so early? Jimmy, do I look angry? <laughs> I'm not easily triggered. I'm really not. Uh, anyway, if you'd like to check us out online, sonsoflibertyradio.com, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And for those of you listening by Red State, you can check out the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You can see the faces made for radio. Just head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. Scroll down right there on the right side of the page. And the video is going, and you'll be able to enlarge that if you want to do that. You'll be able to see me and my guest. As we discuss uh, what's going on in North Carolina and his run for uh, the governor's mansion there. You can also watch that live feed at my Twitter account on FPP Tim. Uh, Periscope is Setting Brush Fires. Facebook page is Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. Before it's news.com, right there on the front part of the page, there are lots of people, lots of traffic driven there, and we appreciate Michael Roach for giving us a spot there, as well as DLive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. You can also catch our post at Spreely Gab, MeWe Minds, and USA.life at either Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. And if you'd like to call in, you got a question for our guest this morning, stick to the topic of what we're talking about, please. 215 Top Talk, 215 867 8255, and we'll bring you on. Be glad to hear from you. Now, my guest this morning is running for the office of governor of North Carolina. And he's got quite an extensive uh, bio here, and just going to show you a portion of that. Uh, his engagement in politics began in the early 1990s. He was a police officer in Charlotte-Mecklenburg County for, I think, 28 years. I'll let him give a little bit of the story on that. He retired in 2018, and he said things like Ruby Ridge and Waco, the Los Angeles riots, the Oklahoma City bombings, were taking place and accusations were being leveled that the federal government had become unconstitutional. Uh, he decided to read the founding documents for himself, including the Declaration of Independence. Al believes that reading those documents in their entirety drastically changed his perspective and how he looked at the purpose of government. This reevaluation forced him to investigate the two major political parties in this country and what they stood for. He realized that both major parties lacked the constitutional perspective. Amen 
when it came down to governing. They're governing by their party. We say that all the time. Our founding fathers warned us about the two-party system. Al began to research it. Uh, it's research if there were any political parties in America that upheld the Constitution as its primary source of governing. That is when he found a small, relatively unknown political party. And by the way, they're the third largest party, not the Libertarian Party, but it was the Constitution Party. He then contacted a few individuals in North Carolina who had a similar interest, and that's when they began a state affiliate to the Constitution Party in the great state of North Carolina. And, you know, North Carolina is under tyranny right now. And it is my delight to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, Al Pazano. And I'm trying to hit the unmute button there. And um, I think it took, yeah. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Tim. And thanks for having me on. It's great to be on the uh, Sons of Liberty radio show here. Sure, sure. And I'm glad that you're joining us so early. Um, but, uh, boy, I mean, this is the thing we want to bring people on and folks, if you've got somebody that you want to bring on, I don't care if I disagree with them or not. I may disagree with Al on some things. Uh, Don, who is the, uh, constitution party presidential candidate. We had a couple of disagreements on some things, but it's to give you the information, uh, because you're not going to hear this from the mainstream media because they want to give you the two dog bowls they put up for you to eat from. And many of you happily eat from those, whether it's the president, the governor, uh, a senator, a congressman, a local, whoever it is, they put those up to you to control you. And so with that said, I've got the volume maxed out, guys. I don't, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the volume maxed out here. For some reason, it was turned way down. I apologize for that. Um, okay, Al, tell us a little bit about yourself. I just gave a sort of a brief introduction here. Tell us what kind of man you are, because first of all, you're not just a former police officer or a guy running for governor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, Tim, uh, basically, I'm just your average citizen out here that uh, as far as what I'm doing now, uh, I decided that, you know, I spent my entire adult career as uh, a police officer, as a public servant, and I take that word very seriously, okay? Um, And uh, running for elected office, and in this case, the highest uh, office in the executive branch of government in North Carolina, for the office of governor to continue that role as a public servant. I think what happens a lot of times is people run for office, and I don't know what their motivations are, but uh, most of the time, or a lot of the time, it certainly isn't to be seen by themselves as a public servant. I always looked at myself that way every single day that I went to work as a police officer. Whenever I stepped out of my citizen role or civilian role and put on that badge, uh, you know, things had to change for me while I was engaged in that public service duties. Okay. And that's the way I always saw myself with that. So my adult career, as you said, I was spent as a a public servant, as a peace officer in Charlotte, Mecklenburg. Um, Prior to that, uh, you know, I came to North Carolina from Pennsylvania, out Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, small steel mill towns where I grew up. And I came down in 1982. So I have been down at, you know, North Carolinian since 1982. I graduated from Western Carolina University with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Um, after that, I traveled around, saw this great United States, had me an old car and traveled the country and got to see the beauty and the wonder of this country. Um, came back, back in 
late 80s, 1989. I sold pretty much everything I had. I wanted to really experience the state that I loved, my first love, and that's the Tar Heel State um, of North Carolina here. And I bought a backpack and I traversed from the, uh, the entire state. Um, and I didn't do it through the normal uh, way of doing it where people went along the trails and stuff. I actually I started at the North Carolina-Tennessee state line. I walked the highways and the byways and the small towns and, and, and the back roads and, and, and wanted to meet people. And, uh, and I traveled well over a thousand miles as I zigzagged throughout this great state of ours and met all the people and saw the diversity of the state. And it just reinstilled into me this, this, uh, this, this love I had for the Tar Heel State and uh, the people of this state here, you know, just fantastic. So it just, you know, it, it reinstituted my faith in humanity back then. And shortly thereafter, I became a police officer and I served, like I said, my community, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, for 28 and a half years as a police officer. I went on and, and uh, like you said, you read in the, the bio that um, I went ahead and uh, in the early 90s, I basically got tired of seeing the country continue to go down a path of what I consider to be socialism and realized with the two major parties, they were just the left and the right wing of the same bird. And the way I looked at it and still look at it, that bird is a vulture and that vulture is feasting on the uh, carrion of our rights and liberties. And I just finally got fed up with it and said, I'm not going to sit here as you said, and eat out of one of the two dog bowls that you give me to choose from. So what I went ahead and said, I'll go ahead and we'll see about starting my own party. And it's not mine per se, but another party that's going to give the voters of North Carolina another option. So that's how we got into it. it you know, I really started this thing in 2008. We fought hard for 10 years all kind of obstacles that are put in your way to start a third party if you don't have a lot of money. Uh, with volunteers and after 10 years of hard work, we surprised everybody in North Carolina and we got ballot access in 2018. And there were a lot of people who didn't like me <laughs> as, a, as a result of that, brother. But that's okay because I'm not doing it for their favor or their, their applause or anything else. I'm doing it for a higher principle. So that's I guess that's kind of a summary. So. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, I think that's what we promote here. Uh, you know, our standard, just to let you know, our standard at the Sons of Liberty is not the right or the left. It's a who's on the straight and narrow. And the Bible gives us the foundations of that. The the Bible is the rock of our our the bedrock of our found uh, the foundation of our our Constitution of our establishment long before the Constitution, folks. I mean, you go back and read your state laws. They reference the scriptures. They don't reference the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita. They don't reference anything else but the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, not the Book of Mormon, not nothing else. That's what they reference. And so we reference the Bible as the supreme law of the land above even the Constitution, even though the Constitution wants to take that. The Constitution can be amended. The Bible cannot. And so where the Constitution is missing something, it is to adhere to the Bible. That is the supreme authority. And so our problem, Al, that we find out is that whether it's in the governor's office, in Congress, the Senate, the presidency, including this one, and a lot of people don't like me for pointing it out, even though I'm trying to be consistent as the usurper was for eight years before before the president we have now, 
that is that is what holds them. It chains them. It does not chain the people. It chains them. It says you cannot do this and you can do this. And the reason was because the states basically were the, the ministers of God in dealing with criminal activity and stuff like that. And the federal government was created for a specific uh, duty that they had for the states on behalf of the states. And some of that dealt with crimes, but most of it was to uh, do things so that the states could interact with one another. And so <clears throat> when you're going to be, when you're running for the office of governor, there are several things going on in North Carolina. My goodness. I call him Governor yeah. Pooper, uh, but Governor Cooper, he, you know, he has vetoed the people's right to keep and bear arms. This is a big story out of this summer. Uh, he's vetoed the right to keep and bear arms, and the impotent Congress there has been unable to override his veto. Um, what's your perspective on the second? I mean, you're a, you're a former police officer. Now, I'll just be up front. I'm fine for defunding police departments as long as we don't leave a vacuum there and we fill it with a constitutional militia, which is you and me, the people. We're to the, the Constitution says we're to enforce the law. We're to put down insurrections, which is contrary to uh, what President Trump said, that we're to stay out of that, let local law enforcement. That's not what the Constitution says. We're to put down those things. We're to repel invasions. We're to do those things. What is your view on, say, the Second Amendment? I'm a... I'm a- Strong believer in the Second Amendment as it is written, Tim. Um, it doesn't say anything about, you know, requiring uh, photo ID or permits to purchase. I'm believing the constitutional carry philosophy, okay, that you simply and me simply as being uh, citizens of this country protected under the Bill of Rights and, in my case, in North Carolina, that uh, we have that as our permit to go ahead and have arms, the, the right to keep and bear arms. Here's something that a lot of people forget. Everybody thinks that the right to keep and bear arms is simply addressing firearms. That's not the case. It's armaments. Any sort of uh, uh, armament or weapon that you can use, a knife, a sword, a club, a mace, uh, whatever, to protect yourself, and your family, and your property. I go against the idea that they think that uh, you should not be able to go ahead and confront somebody nowadays that's destroying property. The concept to me is that, Tim, if somebody's breaking into your car or your house, they are violating you because that property is yours. It's an extension of who you are. Come on, preach it. You know? And so I am, like I said, I'm a strong, strong believer in, uh, you know, the Second Amendment. There were many times I came up on a scene and investigate. And, of course, you know, when you get a call and there, there's a, a body laying there that's been shot, another person there, your first assumption is who's, you know, who's the victim and who's, who's the perpetrator here. It's not always as it appears. Uh, there were many times where I came up and, and a, a victim defended themselves against the perpetrator and the perpetrator was the one laying down. Okay. Um, and, and you know what? I would investigate that thoroughly all, you know, and follow the evidence with that and uh, present the case to the district attorney. And I'd give my opinion and say, Hey, this individual is totally within their rights. And that's how I'm going to testify in my opinion. And usually at that case, you know, the district attorney is going to agree with you. 
on that. But um, so, no, this idea of red flag laws, um, <clears throat> you know, age requirements that you can, you know, they're talking about this young man, this kid up in Kenosha that, well, he was under the age carrying a gun illegally under the age. Where in the Second Amendment does it make a requirement that in order to protect and defend yourself, you have to be of a certain age? It isn't there. Exactly. And so, you know, I'm a strong believer in, like I said, the idea of constitutional carry in the Second Amendment as it is written, not with all these laws that water down our Second Amendment. To me, they're unconstitutional. Of course, you've got courts that rule one way or the other because they have a, their own legislative agenda which they, they're stepping outside the purview of their authority when they do that to uphold some of these laws. But no, I mean, I, I can't emphasize strong enough <clears throat> how much of a Second Amendment supporter I am. And like I said, it's not the concept of just firearms. If people think that, you know, you're just going to regulate firearms, they're kidding themselves. Look what's going on in these other countries when they started regulating just firearms. Now they're down to just about anything you can use to defend yourself. Um, and that, that'll come here if we let it. And as governors, you know, the chief executive, um, that will not happen under my watch. I guarantee you that. Would you be a, would you be a guy? We have a question uh, in the chat room from somebody. He says, sure. do, you, do you think that ex-cons, and I'm assuming once they've served their sentence, which I believe the, the whole prison system, Al, I believe the whole prison system is unbiblical. Uh, you know, God never gave a law that says, hey, you imprison people and make them, you cage them like an animal for a crime. No, there was basically a death penalty for certain, certain crimes. And the other things like theft and stuff like that, this was a civil matter in which there was restitution not to the state, uh, but to the person who was violated, if you had, like you were mentioned, somebody trying to steal somebody's property or something like that, they were violated. So therefore they were restored and plus something, uh, whether it was double, whether it was uh, several fold more. We read that with Zacchaeus in the New Testament when he's converted. Jesus says salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus said, whatever I've taken from somebody and he took it by um, unjust weights and measurements. He added more stuff on. He was basically a thug. And uh, he says, I'm going to restore it fourfold. I'm going to make it right, according to the law of God. Uh, we have the question, ex-cons who've done their time, okay, as some people want to say, paid their debt to society, which is, uh, again, it's unbiblical, but they've done that according to their own standards. Should those guys be allowed to protect themselves once they've done that? Or should they be restricted from, from guns and knives or whatever? 100% yes, they should, okay? I mean... I've even written about this in questionnaires and I'm sure a lot of people and, and even uh, there have even been individuals that I've worked with because, um, you know, a police officers thinking more along safety and stuff like that when they're doing their job. But my belief is that very thing. Once you have served your time and you've paid your debt to society and you have, you are supposed to be made whole again in America, the, the America was based on second chances. Okay, it wasn't based on just okay. We'll just we'll just let you go if you just say you're sorry. No, you paid a price. But once you paid that price and <clears throat> you paid your debt to society, then you're to be made whole legally. So, <clears throat> if the concept of the Second Amendment is a a protected, guaranteed individual right, which it is, once you are off of parole probation, you've paid your fines, 
everything that you owe to the people for violating the, 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 the state or um, violating the people as a whole, then you're to be made whole again. Okay. My concept about this is if this person is such a danger because they're running around, they've been robbing people and everything else, then you do something else with them through the legal system. But if you're, if you're going to go ahead and you're going to shorten their sentence and put them back out there, you're basically saying we feel as the system, they're free to be amongst people again. Well, if that's the case, then they, they need to have their right to second amendment protection. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. Um, Okay. So with that said, I mean, we can go into some other matters of that. And I've got a question that I'm going to put on hold and that's regarding plants. And have you ever, well, let me go ahead and ask it now. I'll go ahead and ask it now. The state has said, and the federal government has said, and they've said it in my state too, that it is illegal for somebody to possess or grow a particular plant on their property, that it is illegal while they push big pharma on us. Uh, And the Bible tells us that even seed-bearing plants are good for food. Now, I'm not recommending people go out and be stoned. The Bible calls us to be sober-minded too. But what I'm saying is it's a plant, for goodness sake. Uh, Have you been in arrests for, this is the question from from the chat room, have you been involved in arrests of people for plants, and what is your view on something like marijuana that is uh, natural, that God has made, versus, I don't know, uh, the big pharma, pharmaceutical, synthetic drugs that we know end up either addicting people or it ends up causing all kinds of problems that start going to the point where they're having to have other drugs where people end up on 20, 30 medications uh, right. in order to survive. What, what's your view on that, and have you, have you actually done that? that? That was the question. Well, yeah, there there have been times if, if somebody if if the question is referring to you know marijuana, um, have I arrested people on that? There have been times, depending on the amount and the and the circumstances of that. Have there been times where I just told people, hey, you need to dump that stuff and just do it, and and kind of probably violated policy and stuff like that. But I did it kind of the old fashioned cop way. I'm just going to deal with this instead of running somebody through the system creating a backlog, putting a, a mark on their their uh, history, criminal history, probably preventing them possibly from getting a job or losing a job in their professional field or something like that. Um, I've done that a lot more than I ever have. Um, the As far as people having a plant, growing the plant of marijuana, as a police officer, I took an oath to uphold the law and as far as the law is concerned, they have declared those plants to be illegal. Um, it's going to be difficult for us to run as a society or as a system if each individual decides this law is is valid, this one isn't. Kind of that's what juries are for. Okay, so if, you, if you're pulled into court and, and you sit there and a juror decides, no, I'm not going to convict this person for having that plant or possession of that item, then, then the, you know, they're not going to get convicted of it. As a police officer, I took an oath to do certain things as, as long as the laws were constitutional. Now, there are times where I simply said, this, this, this is unconstitutional order or something. I'm not going to do it. Um, very few people do that. There are still are a few that will do that. 
Um, I was one that would do it. And a lot of times I, I took some heat for it, but so be it, you know, I don't know. Is that, that the answer? Is that an answer that? Well, no, I just, I wanted, I wanted to see what you thought. Um, you know, my response to it is that it is, it is a plan. I, I'm against the war on drugs, uh, because I think it's brought more pro it's like prohibition. Look at what, look at what alcohol prohibition is. And you know what? The Bible warns us against drunkenness. Sure. But it does not say it is a crime to drink over right. and over and over. I mean, and you people who think that Jesus turned water into grape juice, you need to look at what the Greek word is there for the, 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 the wine. It is fermented juice, grape juice. It is fermented grape juice. It is wine. So I think the same thing applies to the drugs. We, we, again, we allow, and people are just fine with pharmaceutical drugs that on the FDA's own website, says has killed millions of Americans. It has been involved in the killing. Now, they won't say, well, we because they don't want to take any responsibility for it, but they'll, they have it on their website that these people were taking these kinds of drugs when they died. And so here's the thing. When we deal with the issue of, of say, of marijuana here, this wasn't an issue for our forefathers. This was a 20th century issue. Our forefathers made... They used hemp. That's obviously different than marijuana, but it's right, of the right. same plant strain. And so, they, yeah, so it's a cannabis plant. So now we're, we're discovering the cannabis oil. We're finding states that are saying, you know, federal government, you didn't have any business in it. And I don't think they have any business in it either uh, to say it is against the law for people to have that. Um, and we, we see other things, but I'm not going to get off on that. I did, that was a question that was asked. One of the things I want to ask you, too, is about what's currently going on in North Carolina. And that is uh, the issue with uh, Cooper's heavy-handedness over this coronavirus hoax. W what's your take on that? Well, I'll tell you what my take is on that, Tim. It got to the point so bad where I don't know if you can see this or not. This document here. Yep. Okay. And it's, it's this is, I, I sequestered myself in my home for four days. And I wrote this document up. And it was document for the impeachment of Roy Cooper. Okay, so I wrote this thing up, presented it to the Constitution Party of North Carolina's executive committee. They reviewed it. They signed on to it, and we sent copies of the, the articles of impeachment. There are like 20 of them in there um, that I wrote up. And sent uh, electronically and through the U.S. mail, certified mail, uh, copies to the king himself, King Roy Cooper. He's declared himself a king in this state. Um, the lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest, who has been silent on the issue opposing what the king has been doing, the unconstitutional mandates. We've sent a copy to the Republican leadership in the North Carolina House of Representatives and to the North Carolina Senate Republican leadership. Okay. All of those, we sent them electronically and hard copies to them. So they received those. All right. Um, that's how, that's how strongly I felt of what this man has done. Now, North Carolina's uh, system, political system, and, the, and especially with the governor's office, was designed at one time to basically be one of the weaker governor's office in the in all the states in the union. Okay, um, 
this man has gone ahead and blatantly usurped his authority and violated the constitutional rights of the people of North Carolina. And to me, that's intolerable. And when you've got the Speaker of the House of Representatives in North Carolina even stating, what's he done that's unconstitutional? That shows me one of two things. Either he's never read the Constitution, the, the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights has been violated, and the North Carolina State Constitution, and a number of laws that have been, you know, that were passed that this, this governor has violated blatantly. And for him to even ask the question shows that he, he's, to me, he's complicit in this. I don't know, you know, this, this is just my cop mind, but I'm starting to sit there and think, why are you so willing to go along with this? Okay, what's, what's, what's going on here? What's, what's in it for certain people to, to allow this, what is so blatant to where you smugly even ask, what's he done that's unconstitutional? you got to be kidding me. The fact that you're even asking that question shows that when you took your oath to uphold and defend that constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you never read the thing. And, uh, you know, that's how strongly I feel. You, you could probably tell I, I get a little bit angry about this, but, you know, it's almost down to where it, it, it gets me up to where I'm, I'm wanting to fight about this type of thing. And, and the lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest, he's complicit in this too. You know, uh, the, those of you that may be watching from North Carolina, that are Republicans who think that this man is your knight in shining armor coming in on his Republican steed, who's going to rescue you. The Lieutenant governor in North Carolina's primary job when it comes down to when the rubber meets the road is to be a check and balance on a rogue governor. This man, when he had the opportunity to stand up and uphold his oath to uh, defend that constitution and the rights of the people, he was silent. I've dubbed him silent Dan as I've done uh, Cooper. I've dubbed him King Cooper. Okay. Because that's basically what he has become and what they've let him become. And the Lieutenant governor has been silent on this issue and as a lieutenant governor in North Carolina, if you read the requirements, there's not many requirements there. And this man has no voting record, per se, okay, as lieutenant governor. Yet they think that all of a sudden he's going to be some great leader and, and anything to get rid of Cooper. And I'm like, he's got no voting record. And the chance, the time when he was supposed to stand up for your rights and our rights, when he was able to stand up with a backbone, he slithered away in some corner and said nothing. Okay, and that's who you want being your governor? Come on. You know, I mean, th th this stuff, like I said, it just drives me drives me sure. crazy. And I'm not going to sit there. I wouldn't be that type of governor, for, for one. I would uphold the Constitution. Tim, you, I'm sure you know, you've read it many times, Declaration of Independence. Yep. What, is the, what is the primary purpose of government? What is you it? Know, secure our liberties. Is to secure the liberties of the liberties. people. And if you, well, and this gets back to some things that we talked about before. If a law is implemented, you know, you mentioned the law is implemented on marijuana, and I'm not wanting to stick on marijuana, but I think it's I think a plant making a plant illegal is one of the clearest indications of tyranny. That the government is somehow holier than God, that God puts a plant on 
on the earth and the government says, oh, you shall not touch this. They, they think it's like the, 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 the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shall not touch this. Now, some people say, well, you're just promoting the left. You're a 60s hippie and this, that, and the other. Just because I have long hair doesn't mean I'm a 60s hippie, okay? That doesn't mean what any of that stuff. The point I'm trying to say is the government is trying to be our God. And po- folks, if you don't see that, I mean, this is stuff we talked about yesterday. They're doing it with our kids. God says in Deuteronomy 6, we're to teach our kids, parents. They belong to parents. They were given to parents as a heritage, Psalm 127, 128. They're giving them as a reward. They're like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. That's what God has given us to to take dominion in our culture. And yet the, the, the state wants to tell us, no, no, no. They're our kids, really. We'll let you think yeah, they're your yeah. their kids, but we've got CPS that will come in. And Charlotte Mecklenburg is awful with CPS. Yes, they are yeah. really awful, and so is many places around the country. They'll go in and take the kids from the parents for nothing, without any proof, evidence, immunity for those who the stupid people. And they have some of the stupidest people. I'm going to say it because I've dealt with them. Okay, here in South Carolina, but they have some of the stupidest people that come in to take to rob. Parents of their heritage, those that God has given them, those that God has said should be trained. Now, this this also brings something too uh, to the governor's office, because in the same manner that they write law, and I call it pretended legislation, because they have no authority to be dealing with the issue of what you can consume in your body. They have no no authority to be doing that. It's just it's completely you are autonomous in your body in that respect. Now. When it comes to the issue of education, there are laws in North Carolina that want to fund money to education. I mean, we're spending money out the wazoo down here in South Carolina. I'm sure you are in North Carolina because it's far more liberal. 40% of the budget goes to education. That is absolutely crazy. So my question is, where is there authority to be for the state to have any involvement, or the federal government for that matter, because they're funding it with federal dollars? Where is there any authority... In either of the constitutions, I know that the, the, the Lincoln regime, the tyrant regime of Lincoln, ended up imposing all of the, the stuff that came after, of course, his demise. Uh, but they imposed all of that on the South as far as a, a, an education like thing. It was really indoctrination. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were talking about, like in North Carolina, I don't know if you ever read the North Carolina state constitution, but it is in there where it says that... Uh, you know, the state has an obligation to provide for an education. However, it does not say that that education has to be through some massive public school bureaucracy. Okay. Uh, There are many types of education. And if you go on my website under my dealings of education uh, on that, I talk about that. You've got, you know, you've got a charter school system that is, is starting. It's, it's a, it's a way of schools starting to compete with each other to, you know, to basically get students in. You have got um, trade schools that, to me, I mean, my gosh, you know, you somebody wants to make a good living, learn a trade. You know, not everybody is designed to go to, nor do they want to go the academic route until they're 18 years old and then continue on into a university system. So, you know, you've got that form. You've got homeschooling. We've got all kind of different forms of education that are out there, uh, private schools. Okay, so it's when, when we're talking about education, and in North Carolina, the governor has very little to do with education, Tim. I didn't know if you knew that or not. 
the governor can appoint to the uh, State Board of Education members with certain philosophies. That's one area in which the governor can influence the, uh, the uh, education in the state. And the other thing, of course, is battles over the budget type of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you've got all kinds of different avenues for education. And now with the coronavirus, the, you know, the, the, the thing is, people, of course, at first it was foreign to them having their children with them all the time. But now a lot of people are like, I kind of like this. I'm teaching my kids. They're not being influenced. They're not being put in environments exactly. in certain schools where there's all kinds of, of bad influences in there, anti-God influences coming in on them. And now I'm able to actually spend time with my ch children and teach them. And it's actually working. Oh, who would have thought, right? Who would have thought? So th this does this. This is a good question that we need to ask ourselves. Why are we spending so much money on these monstrosity of schools and, and the property and everything? Why are we? We've got these huge buildings that we say they've got to meet these standards and these standards and everything's got to be perfect. I mean, when I was young, I went to I went to a Catholic school, okay, for, for, for six years. We didn't have air conditioning in that school. You know what we did is we opened the windows up and they had fans. I mean, you know, plain and simple. But now you've got to have all of this, you gotta have inspections on that, you gotta have every and it just keeps upping the price. The bureaucracy is a monster. Uh, it, it's taken on a life of its own. You've got these school districts that are huge, like the Charlotte Mecklenburg School District is just one of them. You know, my philosophy is break these districts up, let them go back to the places that, you know, are closest to home, the small communities that ran the schools. They were very involved in the school district and everything else. And there was a lot more accountability from the uh the you know the the professionals educators and administrators because let's face it all of these school districts and these bureaucracies have a tendency to be overbloated from the top-down bureaucrats okay your teachers and 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 in any bureaucracy the people actually doing the job are the ones that get hammered all the time and they're the ones that for the failure of the system not by any choice of their own but because of the decisions coming down from on high all these different levels of bureaucracy, the end product, uh, you know, the, the person that's in charge of actually dealing with it is the one that catches all the blame. And, um, you know, we need to go ahead and break these bureaucracies down. I'm sorry for those of you that are educators and administrators that, that um, you know, that you may take offense to that, but it's true. The product, the purpose of education is to do what? Educate our population. And educate them primarily not only to be good citizens, you know, learn how to read, learn how to write and communicate, to do your arithmetic, basically, so you're not getting ripped off, you know, when it comes to your paychecks and things like that. Um, but to study and learn the constitutions and learn about your liberties and how precious they are. That's not being taught. And that should be one of the primary things. Back in the old days, you, you know, schools were taught basically so people could learn the Bible, as you were talking about. So they could understand and put that moral compass into them when they become adults. And, and in this great experiment, we, the people that run for governor, uh, government, um, that we're able to use that moral compass in our actions. So we, we don't become tyrannical. Okay. And, and I agree. 
I no, I agree. I agree. And I don't know what Timothy is going on about <laughs> throw the Zionists out. Uh, I don't see any of that. The reference to the Bible, uh, Timothy, is to our foundation. I don't know if that's what you're you're talking about here. But um, our country was founded upon, and I'm, long, I'm talking about long before the Constitution. Read the Mayflower Compact. They're very yeah. clear and explicit. You know, Al, one of the things you were talking about, and I've seen it with the church that we're attending here right in our community. It's been around since the 1700s, spawned off about 18 churches in the area. Some have turned out good and some not. Uh, <laughs> I agree, Timothy. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> Um, but some of these things, the, the, the church has taken a stand. They work with the local schools here. And, right. uh, but even at that, while I think that's a good gesture, when you, you know, if people can even recall, and see, I can't because I grew up in the public school system, but if people, and I think this is the one neglected place that needs to be hammered down, it needs to be shut down, like you said, and, it need the, and from my perspective, the power needs to be given back to the parents and, uh, you know, in the state of South Carolina, I'm sure it's the same way in North Carolina, they hold your property hostage. They threaten to put you in jail. They're not going to let you drive on the streets or whatever. If you don't pay property taxes, which is goofy right. to me because you already own something, why are you continually taxed? People think they're free. No, you're still under the king's kind of stuff. That's what's there's going more. on. Yeah. And and so so the question that I have is this. I end up paying a property tax. And to and and the bulk of that, the vast majority in South Carolina, where they said all this um, lottery stuff was going to cover that, well, it didn't. In fact, our no. property taxes went Never up does. after it went up after the lottery. That was a hoodoo because the government's going to get money. There, it's a slush fund for them, folks. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. buy into that other stuff at all. So that's there. And then the second thing I have to do, I got ten kids, so I have to turn around, and me and my wife have to buy books, and we have to, and we utilize all kinds of other resources too. But we have to buy books, so we're shelling out eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a year in our own curriculum for our own kids, as well as paying for everybody else. And then there's the elderly who don't have any children that are in that system; they're being charged to pay for everybody else's kids, folks. That that's straight up communism. It is for the greater good. That's the push that's, that's there. That is the same yes. mentality as that. And so we need to get rid of that. We need parents. To leave that system, you were talking about the parents in this coronavirus no. hoax stuff. And it is a hoax, folks. It is. They're admitting it. They keep windling the numbers down. Nobody can prove that anybody anywhere on the planet died of COVID-19. They can't because they never separated out COVID, according to Cox postulates. They never separated out. It's a piece of lung tissue. As uh, Suzanne Hamner has reported on, on our site, it is part of the human genome 8 Everybody pretty much has it. That's why so many people are testing, because it's not an accurate test. So we have those kinds of things. They're pushing that in there. And you know what? I was ha- I was happy to hear you say that people are learning that though despite it was an inconvenience at first, they're enjoying the fact that they're with their kids. They're giving them their values, which many of them claim they're Christian, whether they practice it or not. They'd still have an influence from our forefathers. There's no question from the culture, even though that's waning out. And I'm hoping that God is going to take this thing that is really bad. And like he says in his word, he'll make all things uh, good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. And so I see, in fact, I got a report from uh, E. Ray Moore down here. He was with Exodus Mandate. He ran for governorship down here in South Carolina a couple of years ago. He was telling me, he says, we have millions of families that say when school opens in the fall, ain't sending our kids back. Praise right. the Lord. I, I, that's, a, that's one of the best things you can do. 
Well, yeah, yeah, and, and I could I could speak to this uh, from a personal issue. You know, my wife and I we we raised our three children. They're they're wonderful adults now, and they're productive adults and everything else. But going through uh, the time when they were growing up and we were raising them, um, we decided together that they were not going to attend the public school system um, because the school system was becoming so contrary to what we believed okay so as a police officer you're never going to get rich you, you know uh, as, as a police officer at least not legally <laughs> type of a thing because you, you know people don't go into that profession to become wealthy you you understand going in you you can do okay if, if you're thrifty and, and you're conservative with your money and you know um but you're never going to get rich so as a police officer to for us, we put our children into a Christian school, okay? We had three of them. And so I had to pick up extra jobs in order to pay for this tuition. Thankfully, it worked out to where I was able to do a lot of the security for that for that particular school uh, there. But we, you know, we did everything we could. We cut back on vacations. You know, we shopped at uh, places like Goodwill for their clothes, you know, drove cars that were 20 years old and nothing wrong with shopping at goodwill because we Absolutely. do that and a lot of people turn over their stuff and it's great i mean it's a great savings yep. exactly so you know i went ahead and and we scrimped and saved and and we paid that tuition for our children to go to that school and it was worth it for us because the values that were being taught there were just simply being reinforced of what we were teaching our children now here's the, here's here's the key to that I, that, that's three children that the Charlotte Mecklenburg school uh, system did not have to teach, did not have to spend money on because we took them out of there. So that was three other seats that opened up. In addition, I had to pay for tuition because the public school system was teaching morals and values or lack thereof that went contrary to what we believed. Okay. I could not get even a tax break uh, uh, for doing that. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm paying property taxes into this system. I'm not utilizing their system. There's three children. They are not having to go ahead and educate because we took them out of there and I'm paying to put them into a private school. And yet you're telling me that I shouldn't even get so much as a tax break on my property or, or anything for doing that. And I just, I just find that to be wholly unfair and tyrannical uh, way of doing things. So, you know, I understand is what I'm, what I'm telling you. I'm not a professional politician, Tim. I'm, like I said, I'm a citizen who is doing this to be a public servant. It's, I believe in, I believe, I'm naive enough to believe in this concept of we the people. Okay, plain and simple. I'm part of the people. Yeah, I can't well, complain if I'm not willing to stand up and put myself out there. I think that's what you got to do. Now, there are people, you know, there are some folks in the in the in the chat who are, you know, questioning certain things, and that's fine, right. guys. I mean, this is why I bring people on. I'm not I'm not sitting here saying, "Hey, I mean, cuz I don't have a dog in the fight with Al. I'm not in North Carolina. I can't vote for him." Right. But um the point is is to let you hear from a different perspective. Is Al does he have maybe all his ducks in a row on everything right? 
Probably not. I mean, just like I probably yeah. wouldn't. But I can tell you, at least for me, if I were to run for office, and I did think about running for sheriff down here in the county that I'm in, if I ran for office, my my uh, foundation would be the Bible and the Constitution. And where things weren't lining up with that, I don't care if they wrote law or not. I would say, no, this is the foundation. You didn't have any authority to write that law. I'm not enforcing it. So this comes to another issue that I want to ask you as a governor. When sure. the federal government comes down and they want to impose something they're not authorized to, it doesn't matter if Congress wrote law about it, like the Patriot Act or any of this other stuff. You know, we had years ago um, down in Texas, they were going to tell the federal government to go fly a kite over the TSA and stuff, and the federal government says, well, well you're not going to fly out of the state. Well, let's take a scenario like that and put it on uh, Governor Al here. And yeah. we're, we're going to say, okay, Governor Al says, well, wait a minute, all this TA stuff, TSA stuff is against the Fourth Amendment, and I don't know your position on that, so you can speak to that, but it's against sure. the Fourth Amendment, and so therefore you can make all the threats you want, but I'm telling you right now, you're in violation of the Constitution, I'm going to uphold it, I'm going to interpose myself to that, and any of your agents who come in here and try to stop it, they're going to be arrested. Would you do something like that? Absolutely. Listen, you know, people forget about this thing that's called the Tenth Amendment, all right? Article one, uh, was it Article one, Section eight of the U.S. Constitution defines what the powers of the federal government are. Amen. Okay, you've got the Tenth Amendment that basically says that the power is not granted to the federal government or prohibited by the Constitution to the states, belong to the states and or the people, the individual, uh, us, the people. Okay, so you've got this Tenth Amendment issue. And, and I want to go back to that real quick about education and the idea of the, the plant, as you want to say. First of all, in education, there was nothing in there that, that gave Jimmy Carter the authority to go ahead and start the Department of Education in the late 70s. We didn't have a U.S. Department of Education. It's a bloated bureaucracy, plain and simple, that start that pulls money out of the states through taxes and then holds it over your head of saying, if you don't do or implement this curriculum or do that, we're going we're gonna to hold funds, federal funds back to your education system in the state, okay? That's extortion. They're taking the money out of our state to begin with that could go to education or wherever the state decided it should go, okay? And, and let's go back to the 10th Amendment with the plant. Um, I think that each state has the right to go ahead and regulate products and things like that, whether it's a plant or it's it's distilled spirits or it's bread or whatever, that's not the federal government's purview. Now, the federal government has the authority to decide what's coming in and going out of our country. They can do that. But the other things remain with the states. Okay. It's a state's issue. This is a state's rights issue. Um, and, and as you were talking about, you know, if, if, the federal government says, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to do this. No, not if it's not if it's unconstitutional, because we are not obliged to go ahead and follow unconstitutional dictates or mandates or even under the color of law. It doesn't matter if that law is not constitutional, then we're, we are not obligated to go ahead and follow that. And the problem with a lot of executives in the states is they simply comply with it. And a lot of the reason why they comply, Tim, is because they've not read the documents themselves. 
Okay, when you've read that document, you become, in some people's eyes, some radical out there. Well, no. <laughs> well, if I'm a radical like George Washington and John Adams, then I'll, I'll be proud to be considered in that group. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> I, I get that. I get that. Um, and that leads to some some other questions. Boy, we could we could launch into several issues, and I don't know all of the issues there in North Carolina. I know a few, and that's why I brought those up um, because I think they really lead to the issue of liberty, and spe- spe- specifically that of education. You know, people yawn at that. We have a, a show every Wednesday where we're dealing with things that come out of the state, and Lynn's actually from North Carolina. <clears throat> she's from Mooresville, and she's constantly pulling. Uh, documentation, uh, bills that are put up by the federal government and also in the state of North Carolina as well as other states to really address this idea. I don't even call it education. I call it indoctrination. That's what it is. It is indoctrinating our kids to buy into globalist agenda. And yes, folks, I keep telling you, it isn't just under the guys in the past. It's under this president too. He pushes it um, and, and the governors push this and they take it up. And, uh, you know, I, I realize what you said before of where they set this stuff in, into, into law, Al. Uh, but, again, if people go back and read their history, it wasn't there before. And if they read R.L. Dabney on secular education, that's the, um, that's the book, On Secular Education. I, hi, I can't recommend it enough. It's four bucks, folks, from Amazon, On Secular Education, R.L. Dabney, written in the 1850s. And he said the North wanted to impose on the South its education agenda. And he said, this is what's going to happen. The guy said it in 18, he wasn't a prophet, a son of a prophet. He could just see the logical results of that. You really ought to right. read it. 75 pages. It will open your eyes to how we've been hoodooed. And our parents and our grandparents have been hoodooed into giving our, our kids over to the beast system to be indoctrinated. Uh, Al, we're running out of time unless you want to stay on for a couple more questions. Sure, I'll stay on. All right. I'm up. <laughs> okay, well, well, that's fine. That's fine. We'll stay on for a few more minutes, and then I have to get busy doing what I got to do. But uh, for our Red State Talk Radio audience, please join us on Facebook or YouTube or DLive or any of those outlets that I told you about, my Twitter account, FPPTM, or uh, Setting Brush Fires on Periscope. Any of those, we're going to cl- conclude that. Al, you got about 30 seconds here. What I want to, before we close out for the radio uh, portion of the show, what I want to do is give you a chance to uh, tell people where they can find out more about you and your campaign. Yeah, go to my website. That's www.al, that's A-L, Pisano, P-I-S-A-N-O, for, F-O-R, ncgovernor.com. That's Al Pisano, for ncgovernor.com. You can pretty much find out everything about me, my background, my stances on certain things. I will be updating my platform as more issues come up. Um, but that's where you need, that's where you need to go. You can donate to my campaign. Um, I'm going to be starting a 100 county, my Tar Heel Liberty and Freedom tour coming up. Okay. Yeah. All right. I appreciate that, Al. Thank you for your time today, bro. And uh, we're going to continue on the other side of this break for a few more minutes. So if you guys want to join us, otherwise, in 23 hours, we'll see you. Okay, we're back on the other side here, and uh, you can also catch uh, Al on Facebook. If you guys are on Facebook, uh, you can catch him here at uh, pisano.ncgovernor.9, and uh, you can follow him there, and you can message him also from there. And uh, Al, I appreciate you joining us this morning and also taking time for us uh, to answer some questions because, you know, I, I realize it. Um, let's, let's, let's go with Eric's question here. 
And Eric okay. is a good interactor. He's a supporter of the show. And I, you know what? I, I'm a firm believer that those who ask for our vote, they got to, they got to answer the hard questions. Okay. What about police reform? Now I'm going to yeah. tell you, let me, let me explain here where I'm from. And I think I said this in part of the show. I'm fine with defunding police departments, but the people are going to have to stand up and be the constitutional militia, which Article 1, what is it, Section 8, Clause 15 says that the militia, the citizen militia, they're the ones to enforce the laws of the union. They're the ones to put down uh, insurrections and repel invasions. So if people want to defund the police department, that's just fine with me as long as we're going to fill it and not leave it open for a bunch of thugs to come in like they did in, in Seattle where they cleaned out the city and they let these thugs come in and do what they're doing. We need the people in the communities who want justice and who want peace in their communities to step up and start demanding of their sheriffs, of their uh, county representatives, of their state governors, of the president of the United States and of Congress to say, hey, Constitution has this uh, little tidbit in here. It didn't call for a federal militia. It called for a militia. And we understand clearly what the founding fathers had in that. And that was you and people like you and me to be trained in that, um, to exercise that. So there's no, there's none of this thin blue line from my perspective. There is just the people enforcing the law, much like we saw in the book of Judges uh, in the Old Testament. What's your perspective on any kind of police reform? Because we report all the time, uh, Al, on police misconduct. We re- report on the fact that uh, there are those, you, you talked about they can't make a living unless they're doing something cricket or whatever. There are guys who are who are arresting people for the plant, if you will, taking it and then going and selling it. They're using their position of authority. They're abusing it, uh, and they're abusing the people that they're called to serve, all these kinds of things. And then there's a number of other questionable activity. Most of it happens in metropolitan cities, but it's happening in other places. What would you do as governor to see that the police force under your watch would be reformed and that there would you support something like the uh, the removal of immunity for these cops who are doing um, crime, who are committing crimes against the people there okay first of all let, you know let me point out to this to anybody um, I'm not a politician and I will not say things just to, to what I believe somebody wants to hear I'm not going to pander for your votes I don't pander for votes I say what I believe and you're either going to agree with me or not you're either going to vote for me or not so I'm not going to sit here and try to blow smoke any in any way, shape, or form, okay? Because I'm not pandering for a vote. All right. Uh, when we're talking about police reform, our systems are growing and changing all the time. So, yeah, you've got to stop and you've got to reform them. Now, if you're going to talk about uh, police misconduct, you gave an example there of somebody that went ahead and, and, and committed a criminal act, okay? That person violated the law blatantly. They get caught. They need to go ahead and be prosecuted for that, terminated from their job, whatever they're going to do. Okay. I can tell you this as an officer in all my time, we didn't tolerate any other officer that was conducting themselves in any, any way other than the most ethical and professional ways. Didn't tolerate it because number one, it was, it's wrong. Okay. I'm a citizen too. I have family that, that are going to be exposed to police officers out there that could be abused by them. So do you, so does everybody else. So does the chief of police or the sheriff, okay? Everybody is subject to this, all right? Plain and simple. So no, you wanna make sure that the officers that are working and working with you 
and you guys hold each other to the highest levels of, of professional conduct. Okay. That's taken very seriously. I know that the media tends to want to downplay that. But when you look at the amount of millions of interactions in this country, Tim, police citizen contacts, and you start looking because the vast, vast majority, 99.9% .9 of stuff doesn't get reported as to the positive things the police and the citizenry working together do. Okay. We're hearing about stuff that's going on in other parts of the country. That's also a part of the problem. Whereas we're inundated with information of things that are going on outside of our scope of reality. Okay. Why are we concerned about what's going on in some other part of the country? You need to be concerned about what's going on in your own town. Okay. If your police department is corrupt in your own town, where are you at as a citizen group getting together and pointing out where the corruption there at you go demand? okay not worrying about what's going on in minneapolis minnesota or seattle washington or portland some lessons can be learned out of those places but why the obsession with that how many times do you as a citizen go and talk to your you know go go to your um city council meetings or asked to do a ride along with your local police department to, to see exactly what's going on there. Demanding maybe that your police department start citizen train police academies to put the citizens through the professional standards for a few weeks, just so they get an idea of what it's like to be a police officer. Okay. So are there ways that we can reform things? Sure. And I'll tell you something else. When people became lazy and the citizens became lazy, and they wanted the, the police officers to be all things to all people, wanting you to be able to automatically be a psychologist you and a on social it. worker and everything else yep. instead of doing what they're supposed to do, keep the peace and maintain law and order. That's when a lot of problems started coming into play because I had to be a marital counselor. I had to raise kids that were damaged by their own upbringing that were 14, 15 years or more in the making and try to be a marital counselor or try to be a counselor of people that were cohabitating together, which is a big problem in and of itself. Amen. But we talk about that as a whole nother issue. But then you're talking about if you're going to defund the police, okay, what are you going to fill it with? Are you going to fill it with the citizens? Are the citizens going to be trained? What about liability if you got Absolutely. a citizen that goes rogue? How are they going to be held accountable? There's a lot of issues here that people aren't thinking about. Yeah. Well, and, and I am, and that's why that's why I asked. I am thinking about that. I think citizens ought to be held. I think we do fill it with the militia. I think they are to be trained to be a part of that. That's part of what uh, the part, first part of the Second Amendment is about. They're to be a well-regulated militia. They're they're essential for the the security of a free state. And when we look at the past, when we look at history, what that is, they are to be trained in that. They're to be trained in the law. They're to know these founding documents. They're to know what's law and what's not law or pretended legislation, as it will. And uh, one of the things that we were asking here was kind of what I was getting at is that militia, would you support a transition to citizen militia to enforce the law, oversee it so that it gets the, the proper training according to the Constitution of what we have? Because that comes right out of the federal Constitution. It's not a federal militia. It's the state militia. It's a citizen militia. Would you support that over a period of time to transition into that? Where the people will stand. And now, you're exactly right. I appreciate you pointing it out. Folks, this isn't just a theory. This is something that we have to step up to. If you want that, if you want that liberty, you're going to have to do the work. You are the solution. I've said this over and it's not, 
It's not even Al. If you vote for Al for governor, that's not the solution. That's no. that's a hint of of governorship, but it's not the solution. The solution is you and me. And I, I have a question: Would you support and would you come out as governor and say, "Look, the Constitution says here in Article One that there's to be a militia. Congress is to make sure that's in place. The states and the people are to determine their officers in that. They're to make sure they're trained. These people are for enforcing the law, and we're going to start making a transition. We we can already do it, Al. Um, I think it was Dr. Edwin Vieira, who's a a constitutional scholar out of Virginia. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he had a, he's got a, a lot to say about the militia. And he says, you know, one of the things we could do is we could take those who are actually trained police officers. Okay. We could take them and begin educating them constitutionally. And we could have them as sort of a subset of the militia. They wouldn't be police officers. They would be citizens who are volunteering their time, just like the rest of us. And they would help to train everybody. And we're all doing it for a benefit, and that benefit is for a free state. Would you support something like that? Probably not, and I'll okay. tell you why, because I think I think it's a naive, I, I think it's a, a good philosophical debate to have, but in practicality, and this is what we're talking about, the practical application of government, I think it's a naive way of looking at things. I think there's going to be a lot of problems. Uh, professional policing just didn't spring up overnight. I mean, it, it was, you know, you, you went from, you know, posses and posse comitatus and things like that. And people wanted trained professional police officers. They wanted a standard um, that everybody could depend on that if you were traveling from, you know, your your town in South Carolina and you come into North Carolina, that you knew that if you had an issue with the local police or the state police in, in, in that particular jurisdiction, that you knew they were they were trained. And they, they understood the Constitution. And, and you're talking about volunteers. Brother, I've been working with volunteers for many years. And let me tell you something. People get real enthused real quick. But when the, when the, when the hard work and the heavy lifting needs to be done, they, they are far and few between. You can't get them to return a phone call or anything else. So if you're talking about putting my family's safety under the authority of some other civilians, untrained or whatever. No, I'm not willing to go there. Well, no, I, and that's not what I said. I said trained. See, that's right. the part where we get a, the well-regulated militia out of the Second Amendment. I'm talking about trained people. I'm not talking about untrained people. Right. And and as far as the, the putting my family's security and safety on, that's not on you anyway. That's on me. I'm the head of my family. That's my jurisdiction. Right. And but what so, if you're, what if, my, my question would be, and I understand yeah, it and I agree sure. with you. But if, if your wife's out traveling, she's going to visit, you know, relatives down in Georgia or some other sure. part of South Carolina, and she gets stopped and pulled over for violating a traffic law, speeding or whatever, you know. Well, that's a whole other issue right there in itself. Has she actually committed a crime against anybody, or is that just an, a, a way that the state makes money? Because she's not destroyed any property. She's not hurt or maimed anybody. And, in fact, I would ask of the cop who pulled her over, how fast were you going to catch her? If she, if speeding is dangerous, see, this comes down to the issue of law. And let me give you an example here, and I'll let you, I'll let you conclude what you're saying there. In the Old Testament, we're told that if you built a house and you, put, you didn't put fencing around your house, and somebody, you know, they would, they would go up there in the evening because it was cool and things. If you brought, you know, friends up there for, for a get-together, and your friend, because you didn't have fencing on it, you don't want to put fencing on it, you're neg- negligent or whatever, you didn't put fencing on it, 
and that friend fell off the side and maybe they broke their arm or they died, God forbid, then you were held accountable according to law that there were there were the issues of negligence if if that was incurred. Uh, you were to take care of them uh, if they were if they died. Guess what? You had to make sure that you filled the void that was there that was left of that. But if you put the fence up, the blood was on their hands if they fell off. Now, the obvious thing that was clear to me. There was no planning department set up. There was no guys walking around saying, oh, okay, we're going to fine you $300 because you didn't get a proper permit and you didn't put that fencing up. There was none of that. So I apply the same thing here to the speeding issue because for police officers to chase you down and do 120 to chase you down when you're doing 70 and 65, to me, well, you're both doing the same thing. If, it, if the person doing 70 was putting people at risk, how much more the cop, I don't care how well he's trained or not trained, how much more is he doing going 50 or 60 miles more than that? And I see the end result as robbing people of the fruit of their labor for the state uh, for the state to get more money in their coffers. And I've been to Charlotte-Mecklenburg uh, Court before <laughs> a couple of times, and I see they that is a racket. I'm just going to tell you it's a racket. They put thousands of people through there on speeding charges. Then they have the scan, the red light scammers. I'm not I'm not blasting this you. I'm saying this is what they do. And so when when yeah, the thing could be solved if my if my wife wasn't held to an unlawful law, and and a thing that's that has nothing to do with morality, and where nobody has been injured. Uh, for a cop to be pulling her over when probably in the state they have murders that need to be caught, rapists that need to be caught, uh, child molesters that need to be caught, all these kinds of people. And yet they're sitting out there with their radar going, mm, I'm doing my job. I'm catching this guy doing, uh, you know, I, I was down in South Carolina here one year and I had a guy pull me over at one o'clock in the morning for going 36 and a 35. And right. that's how right. that little small town of Ainer made their made their money. Sure. So sure. I would right. say you do away with that, then I don't have to worry about my wife being pulled over by a cop for, you know, whatever speeding in this, that, and the other. Well, and, and you know, we're talking, really, I think what we're talking about is, is we're talking about two separate issues. Um, you know, should, should a town be uh, generating revenue from speeding tickets? I disagree with that. And, and I had many times uh, when I was working, that I would say to the uh, supervisor saying, you're not writing enough tickets. I say, okay, give me a number. Give me a quota. What do you want? And they can't do it by law. Okay. So there is a law about quotas. Now, do I agree about stopping people for frivolous stuff like that? No. But am I going to be willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that uh, police to, to, to police society? Now, what you're talking about, I mean, Hey, in probably some small village that, you know, small township or whatever, they can get away with a lot of what you're talking about. But when you're talking about, you know, larger cities and stuff and you've got criminal gangs and violent gangs that are that are running amok, they're killing people, they're robbing people, they're raping people. What is your option with a militia? Um, you, oh, you it's, know, a, it's the same thing. Yeah, I would say it's the same thing that it is with the police department. The people know the law. You train them in the law just like you do the other. The people who don't show up, I, I agree with you. Uh, there's people who are going to talk loud. They're going to be keyboard warriors. Some of them we have that come to the chat room and everything else. I get that. And I'm with you. They need to be trained. They need to be dedicated to that. We have volunteer fire departments uh, in, you know, in our neck of the woods, and I'm sure all across the country. And so they need to be trained in that. They need to be trained how to do it. And the ones who are found faithful, those are the guys you use in doing that. But again, it you know it kind of comes down to 
you know, what are we doing there? And how is that law enforced? Because, uh, again, I think there's many things where we need to to stand against the tyranny that comes under the color of law. And one of those, like I said, is is the speeding is the speeding issue. Because apparently it's okay for some people to speed and not for others. That's not equal protection under the law. It's not equal application of the law. Um, And I think people don't really stop and think about that because they've been so inundated. We didn't have speeding laws before. And you were talking about where police came from. Well, if people really want to do their homework, they came from going and catching runaway slaves. That's where the lawmen came from in the first place. And then we graduated that, but we still had a Christian influence. And I agree with you that at least from what I've seen, at least in my own county here, all my interactions with the sheriff's deputies have been great. I've never had one bat. In fact, one of them, I was playing flashlight tag out in my front yard. It was dark, uh, and we were running through the yard and stuff, and the deputy just pulled into the driveway. He got out. He was very kind, and, and we, we were all out of breath, and he said, well, I, did, I just saw flashlights coming. He says, I just want to make sure that it's you who's here and not somebody messing with your house or this, that, and the other. I said, no, we're, we're, we're just fine. He was, all right, have a nice night, and he pulled out. He was very kind about that. It was great. And I've had other interactions with our sheriff's deputies, and they've been great. Does that mean all of them are great? No, but but at least my uh, interaction right. has been good. And even in my life, I'm 51. I've had two bad interactions with police officers, and that's because they were trying to be jerks. I mean, that's right. just that I wasn't trying to be a jerk. They were, and that happens because that's part of humanity. I get that part. Sure. Sure. But I'm going back to sort of the issue of the Constitution. You've read the Constitution. The Constitution mm-hmm. talks about a militia. It doesn't talk about a police force as such. This would be the police force. And that's why I asked. I, I understand that I can be naive, but I, I don't think I am. I recognize some people talk the talk and they're not willing to step up. I get that. But I, but I think our founders laid it out. And this is the one thing that's been left off. And like you said, the people are happy to let anybody else do it and then they want to complain about it. Well, I'm not one of those people. I'm willing to complain about it and say, we need to go back to this. And even at 51, even though I probably wouldn't fit the age group of the militia, I'd be willing to learn some things, go along with my boys and teach them, be an example to them. Even if I can't cut the mustard, so to speak, I'd be willing to go and learn and be a part of that in some way. And I'm sure there are other people who would do it too. That's why I asked, would you support that the constitutional concept of the militia? Because if you say, no, I won't, well, then that's part of the constitution. If we're going to uphold the constitution, we have to do that too. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, what what I I don't have a problem with because you can have people want to say the National Guard is the militia. It's not. Okay, you can have a distinct thing of a militia that basically answers to the governor's called up for emergencies and things like that that they can do or be deputized. Sheriffs can deputize people. Okay, if they want to do that, and that's 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 fine. Um, but. What we're talking about, at least the way I'm understanding what you're talking about, is eliminating the professional police officer, peace officer, and uh, trying to fill that void with just as well-trained volunteers. Now, if you can get volunteers, I mean, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department had to reserve forces where people were trained. They were reserves and everything else. Um, you know, the bottom line is if somebody wanted to show up for duty as a reserve, they did. If they didn't, they didn't. You couldn't really depend on having the reserves and volunteers because what are you going to do? Say, okay, you're done turning your gear. Okay, that's fine. You know, if, if, if I go out there and I get involved in something, I'm going to be sued and everything else and possibly go to prison for volunteering this because I made a decision out there 
and I've got no protection. Let's go back to the idea of, um, you know, qualified immunity. I want to hit on this real quick. I'm absolutely for qualified immunity, and I'll tell you why, because it's a protection to the people. All right. And let me explain to you this. The qualified immunity, if an officer does something, it gets reviewed heavily. Okay. And, and if you don't believe me, look into any of the cases and follow what they go through to declare whether an officer's actions fall under qualified immunity. Now, if we take that away, okay, and, and police officers, like I said, aren't getting paid a whole lot, the worst people out there are the ones that the officers got to end up dealing with having to use force on to restrain them or even getting in a shootout with them. Okay. And kill them. These are the very worst people out there that are willing to do that because they're involved in real criminal activity and they're violent people. Um, now, if you take away the ability of an officer to have qualified immunity and he's going to go out there, I would think, as you said, you don't want officers stopping speeders. You want them dealing with real criminals, right? Okay. So, if that officer is going to deal with a real criminal and he knows he may have to get into a fight, use force, seriously hurt this person, or he's going to get hurt, or even have to shoot and kill this person, or he can let that go because he's not going to run the risk of not having qualified immunity and dealing with this person or persons that are out there, he's going to, he's going to stay away from that. And these people are going to take over. And I've seen what happens when gangs take over neighborhoods. The people living in the neighborhoods are terrorized. I agree. They're terrified and they're victimized constantly. Talk about there there is no there is no respect for private property with these thugs. Okay? Homes get broken into, people getting beaten down, robbed all the time. If you don't have the officers that are willing to go ahead and confront these people, they have basically become tyrants in those neighborhoods. Plain and simple. The people have no right then. Their rights are being taken over by these thugs because these thugs are willing to go ahead and use violence to get what they want. Now, if an officer doesn't know that he's got qualified immunity, he's going to let them thugs run rampant and he's going to he or she are going to go deal with something else. The only thing that helps the officer rescue those communities. And I've been there. OK, I've been there many times. There are a sure. lot of lot of uh, good, honest people that are victimized in their neighborhoods because the gangs like a cancer have taken hold of, of those neighborhoods. I've been there with them, okay? Hearing them crying and stuff that they're terrorized, that they won't leave their homes, or they won't their grandkids outside or anything else. That's no way to live. I agree. But if you take qualified immunity away from the officer that's saying, okay, it's time we're going to take this neighborhood back and bring law and order back, equal protection under the law for these victims that are in here, and that officer doesn't have qualified immunity when he's got to deal with a thug who thinks he's the king in that area. He's not going to do it. Those people are going to stay victims to those thugs. I, no, and I couldn't agree with you more that they, that's not a way to live. But let me ask you this. Yeah. Why does the homeowner not have qualified immunity in dealing with those thugs, too? They're the ones being terrorized. Why do well, they not have qualified immunity when those thugs come in and they start dealing with them with force? And they should. Well, I agree. They should. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because a lot of yeah. times what happens is they do it and then we see they're the ones getting sued because they broke the guy's arm or they shot and killed exactly. him because of whatever. And so what's the fault of that? It, yeah. It's it's a legislative process that shouldn't be in place. I mean, or they've they've got to really scrutinize it. I've told you before, I came to cases where, where a person was shot and, and, and realized, well, they're the perpetrator. They were a suspect. 
the person who's standing over them with the gun is the victim here. Okay, this person is trying to victimize that person. That person drew first. Okay, so and and I told you I want I would go to bat with them with the DA and they will they wouldn't get prosecuted. Okay, they also with civil liability they shouldn't be sued. Okay, because the things are being scrutinized, so they do have that protection there as a citizen. Now, of course, it depends on your local district attorney. Look what's going on with these uh, these district attorneys in these states that are going after people that are defending themselves and they're letting the criminals who are terrorizing them people go. Amen. Yeah. I no, okay. I I agree. I told I look, we're on the same page on that, that's for sure. And that's sort of where I get to. I realize that there are certain sections of the country this is not as a big an issue as it is in, in others, especially in metropolitan sure. areas. I mean it's just some of the stuff is just awful. And then you've got the people who are supposed to be the people's representatives upholding their rights and securing their liberties, as we talked about before, sure. um, they're they're violating that to where they're leaving the people helpless. They're leaving them at the mercy of the state and those who are in the police positions to defend them. And the, the reality is, Al, cops can't defend the people because they're, oh, they can't be yeah. everywhere at all times. This is why we have Second Amendment. So people, they have Absolutely. to, and this is why I bring it up. It's not to down on, on police officers. It is to say, we're the people who you ha- you claim you have rights. Why don't you use your rights for to defend your liberty? Right. This is right. what I'm wanting to stress. I'm wanting to stress this issue of liberty. And when, again, when we go back to an issue of putting in a militia or something like that, I'm not saying you just disband police. Those guys are trained. Help let them help train the other vol- the people who do want to volunteer in their community. And Brian. Sure. Brian Sasser, let me give him a shout out. Uh, he's the one who put us together this morning. Yeah, he did. And and he Brian did. says, you know, I've went to people, and he says some people will they'll they'll talk to talk, and then they'll jump in. He says, but there's a vast majority. He says when it comes time to train, when it comes to oh, I can't be there. Oh, I can't yep, do that. Exactly and I right. get it. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, it's still the people's responsibility. It it really is our responsibility to be those who who stand up and do the right thing, and even uh, enforcing the laws. I mean, again, folks, read the book of Judges. This this is the freest time a people existed on the planet was in the book of Judges, and they were carrying out the law of God. They weren't doing it without due process. They weren't, you know, vigil antes or something like that. They knew what the law was. They saw they saw that people violated it, and they dealt with them. That was as simple as it was. Um, yeah. Al, is there anything else you want to hit on? Because i got to get some stuff i got to get done, and I appreciate you taking extra time for us today and taking taking some hard questions. I mean, hey, I'll answer the questions. Like I said, I'm yeah. not pandering for votes, brother. Well, no, and I and people are going to they're going to have certain views about you no matter what, and everybody is not at the same level, but we all, I hope, are moving towards the same kind of goal, I hope, even if we're having to dump baggage off. Uh, I know I have to dump baggage off of things I was taught too, so I know what that is. But is there anything else you want to say to the people of North Carolina, uh, other people who might support your campaign? Maybe I, I guess you can take con- contributions outside of that. But other people who might sure. want to, who, who are thinking about maybe supporting Al Pisano as governor there in North Carolina, what would you say to those people? Well, I'd say, listen, let's break the mesmerization of the two-party system. Okay, that's that's a big thing. Um, the, the, the concept of, well, you know, I, I, I like what you stand for, but I'm going to have to go with the other guy. He's the lesser of two evils or she's the lesser of two evils. And I'm going to go with them. Well, <clears throat> the way I look at it is, folks, you've got a you've got a choice in North Carolina. now. You don't have to go by the two that are that have been put up there. OK, you have a choice now. If you choose 
to go with the lesser of two evils, or if you choose to go with somebody that doesn't, that you don't agree with as much as, let's say, in my case and my choice, that's your choice. You don't have an excuse now, okay? You have another choice out there. So make that choice. Don't be afraid to exercise your, your right. People died and spilled their blood and gave their limbs for you to have the right to vote for the individual that best represents you. And if you choose not to do that, that's your choice. But, but you got to own that now. Okay. That's that, that, that's the big thing that I want to see broken. The other thing is if you want to donate to my campaign, go to my website, www.alpazanaforncgovernor.com. You can do that. I'm about to start this 100 county um, Tar Hill Liberty and Freedom Tour where I'm going to hit all 100 counties in North Carolina in my pickup truck. It's going to be decked out. I'm going through the small towns and the hamlets, and I'm going to be talking to people on Main Street and wherever else. Uh, you're going to be able to go ahead and follow me there. Um, we're, we're going to have a website dedicated to that. It's going to be TarHillLibertyTour.com. Uh, we're going to be doing that. If you're in North Carolina and you want to find out more, uh, contact me. Go to my website, contact me, send me a message, whatever. I need volunteers to set up meetings and things like that throughout the state. Uh, this is a grassroots effort, Tim. I'm not a paid professional politician. I don't have millions of dollars coming in like the other two guys got. Um, I don't owe anybody anything. Like I said, I talk straight. This is what I believe. I've got the experience in government, and, and I have a good concept of the practical application on how it affects people's lives. I dealt with the Constitution every single day of my career. Okay, I had to deal with it in my dealings with people. I know the Constitution, and, and um, that's basically what I want to emphasize to people. Pick up the document, folks. Start reading it. Understand it. Educate yourself about it. Follow my campaign. And if you like what I have to say, you want to vote for me, it's your vote. If you don't, if you disagree with me, that's fine, too. But just remember, I, I'm not a politician. I'm a citizen who wants to be a public servant, and I'm not going to pander for anybody votes. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear you know, today and then tell somebody else something contrary the next day just to try to get votes. That's not me. That's not who I am. You, what, what you see is what you get with me. And I guarantee you that if I'm elected governor, I will ensure that your rights are always protected. We may not agree on some specifics, but you can, you can be um, rest assured that I am always going to protect your freedoms and liberties first and foremost. Okay. So that, with that being said, Tim, I guess that's about it. Okay. Yeah. No, I appreciate I appreciate appreciate your straight, straightforwardness. Again, we're not looking for people who just want to agree with us everything when we bring them on. I mean, that would be right. kind of a dull show. Uh, but and and it's been a kind of lively here after the radio portion, which is great. I, I like that. Um, and we can still walk away and be friends uh, of this kind of thing. So if you want to support Al. Uh, go to his site, alpazano4ncgovernor.com. I'm going to close out, Al, with, um, and if you'll hang on after the show, we'll talk just for a few minutes because I've got to get busy sure. doing things. I'm going to close with, uh, I guess this is the the ad that you had that you were talking about doing yesterday, and this is right off of, of his website, and this is Al Pizzano for NC Governor. Hi, I'm Al Pizzano, the Constitution Party of North Carolina's candidate for Governor of North Carolina 2020. Votes if you're tired of the two-party system, stop voting for the two-party system. Vote Constitution Party. If you're tired of voting for a professional, 
career politicians that do nothing but tell lies and half-truths. Stop voting for them, folks. Vote for somebody who believes in principle over politics, okay? I am the only true constitutional conservative in this governor's race. Help me restore liberty and freedom back to the people of North Carolina. Vote for me, Al Pisano for governor of North Carolina. Bye, folks. All right, guys, 23 and a half hours. We'll be back with you, Lord willing. See ya.